And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money. Markets. Life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. Well, and good morning. It's Wednesday. It's the hump day edition of the uh, show. Second best day of the week, right? First best first day is, uh, of course, uh, you know, Thursday. You get ready to go to Friday. Um, wrapping up the week pretty quick here as we get through, uh, kind of half, getting towards the halfway point of, of May here. And, you know, so school's about to be out. Kids are going to be out for the summer before you know it. Wait, school's going to be out? Soon, yeah. How can you tell? Well, this is true. <laughs> this, this is a point. But the kids are very excited that yeah, school's about well, to be sure. over, right? Any they, excuse. Yeah. So it was interesting. Uh, both my kids had to work double shifts on Saturday and Sunday for Mother's Day. So they were working very long days. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were both complaining to me yesterday about how tired they were from having to work so much. And now they've got school. And I was like, well, welcome to adulthood. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I said, you know, this is this is the way it is when you grow up. You're going to do this every day. And they're like, I don't want to grow up. I go, I get it. I don't want to be an adult either. This is the course that isn't on the syllabus. I know, right? Isn't it funny, you know, when, when you are that age, you just can't wait to grow up, right? And, and get out there in the world and make your mark. And then when you get to be my age, you go, man, I'd love to be a teenager again. Have people wash my clothes and feed me. First grade sure looks awfully good. <laughs> It sure does, doesn't it? If you could only go back, that's the thing. So interestingly enough, you know, a few things that we saw during the pandemic, of course, was people hoarding stuff, right? Remember that? So first thing we started doing, everybody started hoarding water, and then we were hoarding toilet paper, right? So too, this, too much water. I know, too much water. So now we have need toilet paper. Yeah. So everybody's hoarding toilet paper. Well, now everybody up in the Northeast, they're losing their minds because of the Colonial Pipe shutdown. Yeah. They're out waiting in lines for five hours to try to get gas. Okay, the pipeline's only going to be shut down for a week, right? Maybe. And it'll be back up and you'll have gas. If you weren't out hoarding gas, there wouldn't be a short... That's only 45% of your gas supplies. You're getting gasoline from other places. But if you didn't run out and hoard the stuff, you wouldn't have a shortage. But of course, everybody immediately panics. Oh my God, no more gas! got to go get it, right? So everybody's like hoarding gasoline, so now they got a gas shortage. Hey, here's an idea. Let's start a rumor. (laughs) There's a shortage of jobs. (gasps) No. (laughs) We're going to start a rumor that there's a shortage of jobs in America. You better go out and get one before they're all gone. Get two. You better, yeah, you better get two. (laughs) True story. My wife had, um, you know, works for a company actually in our building. She's actually just upstairs from me. They had, they had an interview for an employee come in, and a great candidate, fully qualified. Um, they were getting ready to make her an offer, and she says, you know, well, I can't start work until September. What? Yeah, my benefits. Oh, yeah. She says, our benefits don't run out until September. You know, we've heard, we've heard, heard cases, of, you know, we, we talked about the theory of this, right, by giving people too much money where they're making too much money to stay at home. This is why worker, you know, um, there's a, you know, a numerous uh, restaurant chains right now are now doing all kinds of incentives. You know, come in, we'll give you $50 for, you know, uh, uh, to interview, we'll give you $500 bonus as a new hire. You know, those type of things. And in fact, Richard and I were exchanging emails yesterday talking about this 
company up in uh, I think it's New Jersey. They're a like they're like a slushy company, right? So they make slushies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right or ices, whatever you want to mm-hmm. call them. And so they're offering a five hundred dollar new hire bonus. Okay, but think about this, right? If I'm getting an extra four hundred dollars a week on my unemployment benefits, why would I give that up for a one-time $500 bonus, right? Because there's still several months left until we get to September, right? So we got June, July, August, you know, before the benefits run out in September. So that's a lot more money to sit at home than a $500 one-time signing bonus. So there's no incentive to go back to work. And that was, the, that was this, this lady's point too. It's like, why would I go to work now when I can just kind of you know, take it easy for a few more months, enjoy summer, collect my money, I'll start to work in September. And they will like, thank you very much. We'll hire somebody that actually wants to come to work. So <laughs> that job might not be there in September. It, uh, well, this is going to be one of the things I think may be surprising is that first of all, there's, you know, you see a lot of this data about, you know, job openings, right? We've got record job openings right now. And we do. It's in the new thing. We had record job openings when we were in the middle of the Obama administration. And we had uh, record job openings when we were in the middle of the Trump administration. And we had full employment, right? The problem is, is that yes, companies are have job openings. Right now, the US military has a tremendous number of job openings. They can't find people that are qualified. 71% of millennials, 17 to 24, talked about this yesterday, can't qualify to be in the military because they're too obese, have no high school diploma, or they have a criminal record. So it's the same problem that manufacturers and businesses are having as well as A, people wanting to come to work for the pay that they're willing to be paid, I don't want to work for minimum wage. Well, that's what the job pays, right? Um, the other thing is, is that, well, you know, they're not qualified, don't have a proper skill set. We're not training our kids functionally in school to go out into the world to hold down a job. English skills are a problem. <laughs> um, you know, basic grammar. It's awesome that you can tweet with bad grammar on Twitter, but in the real world, you have to actually write things to people, and it's important to have good grammar. You know, emails. <laughs> You mean LOL is not a word? LOL is not technically a word, although I think it actually is in the dictionary. You you wind up there. You watch. (laughs) It's coming. Irregardless. So don't get me started. (laughs) That's a whole other show right there. Uh, Anyway, all right. But that's the problem right now. So this isn't something new. This is something that's been going on for a while, and it's going to continue. And here's what's going to happen ultimately is that we are going to get back to the point. The markets, you know, the economy is going to be back opening. People are going to come off benefits and find out, hey, you know what? There's no jobs available, right? Those jobs will get filled um, by people looking to take a job. So a quick thing here. Yesterday we had talked about early in the morning, and I just want to kind of review this uh, a bit from yesterday. We talked about the fact that the markets were very oversold here, you know, in just a really short term basis and that our money flow indicator was very oversold on the S&P and had not quite turned up yet. And of course, yesterday, more pressure on the S&P yesterday. Not again, not surprising here. We continue to kind of push back down into this range. As we talked about over the last couple of weeks, this ever since this money flow indicator actually triggered the market's gone virtually nowhere. It's just been, uh, you know, strictly a struggle here uh, of up and down price action, very frustrating overall. And of course, a lot of the stocks that we're working aren't working and vice versa. So again, this has just been a very frustrating trend. And we did talk about yesterday a bit, though, that the NASDAQ is a much deeper oversold condition. And in fact, money flows turned up positive yesterday. They were slightly negative yesterday morning, uh, turned up positive during the day, big rebound. The NASDAQ had opened down almost 2% 
percent in the morning rebound to flat yesterday uh we're going to re try to retest this 50-day moving average uh today so it'll be important that we try to get some movement up through this 50-day moving average on the nasdaq if that occurs today and, and we may not we may get some more sloppiness today a lot of this is going to depend on the cpi number this morning and we'll talk about that in just a minute but keep a watch here because again this is this is the one index that's a lot more oversold than the s p same thing goes for emerging markets a lot of pressure here looks like the nasdaq not oversold that much there's more downside risk to emerging markets international also um, really kind of starting to, to flirt here with a potential top. Uh, again, be a little bit careful in the international. Dollar risk there still remains. And of course, uh, small caps, which has been the big leader since really the 2020 bottom, uh, just triggered a money flow sell signal. There's more downside risk in small caps. So again, look for that rotation uh, back into large cap names for safety, liquidity. And again, that's why when you kind of, kind of take a look across markets, the NASDAQ really seems to be a little bit better place at this moment technically uh, over the next couple of weeks on a potential relative performance basis. Quick break. We'll be back. We'll pick up with Danny Ratliff. Of course, this morning, lots of stuff to get into, so don't go away. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. We're going for the best on our next Candid Coffee with Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff, Saturday, May 22nd. The best accounts to save, the best accounts to invest. Investments are one thing. The vehicles you place them in can be quite another. Which are the best for you? Learn about the best types of accounts to save for health care, retirement, and emergency reserves on our next Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso, Saturday, May 22nd. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. Everybody get up! This morning, I'm your host, Lance Roberts. It's The Real Investment Show. Danny Ratliff joining me this morning. Brent Clanton driving our uh, Length Challenge bus. And, of course, uh, he always tags me with little uh, comic notes every morning. Today's uh, social media has made you too comfortable with disrespecting people and not getting punched in the mouth for it. <laughs> I agree. <So. laughs> Things that you would never say to somebody to their, their face. face. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but you can do it anonymously. It's all good. <laughs> yeah, or, you know. With much distance in between us. <laughs> I just hope you never run into them. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, so good morning. How are you? I'm doing great. You? Good. It's Wednesday, halfway through the week. Glad there you're go. here. You know, I always, always look forward to you being here on Wednesday because I know the week's almost over. <laughs> I don't you're, know if that's good or bad. You're, you're, like, you're like my benchmark of the week where we are. So it's, 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 it's all good. So what do you want to talk about today? You know, like I said, a lot, a lot of questions, obviously, with a little bit of stock market volatility. You know, we've had a, uh, a very extended period of time, much more than normal from a perspective of not much volatility. I think we saw the S&P or the Dow didn't have a, a day that was down more than 1%. It was extended over 30 some odd days, which is remarkable. Typically, I think the longest prior to that was, um, you know, it was well, you know, about half of that time. So, you know, Obviously, with a little bit of volatility this week, lots of questions, lots of concerns uh, about markets, what they may do. I think we've all known they've been a little bit overheated. We've taken some chips off the table here recently. Um, but let's talk a little bit about you know discipline and like how to invest in an environment like this and sticking to that. But then also, like, 
what do you do from a stop perspective? Because I have been getting some questions on this with people just saying, hey, I'm, I'm trying to put stops on uh, my portfolio. My portfolio Are all things created equal? And one thing with how we manage money, it's not because each position is different and we're not managing them all where we're going to say, okay, at 10%, we're out of each and every one of them. Maybe explain a little bit about how you look at that from a portfolio management perspective. You know, one of the things that is important, and again, when we're looking at stops in particular, we're generally talking about shorter term timeframes. So when you're looking or thinking about, you know, long term analysis on stocks, it's not always just as simple as just saying, okay, I want to, you know, do something where, um, you know, I'm going to use an 8% stop loss, which is Bill O'Neill's theory about investing. Now, you got to remember, though, when Bill O'Neill was talking about in his books about investing and using stop losses, he was trading four or five stocks in his portfolio only. He had very small positions. I mean, uh, very few positions, not small, but few positions. He may, he would talk about trading four or five stops, stocks, and he would use an 8% trading stop loss. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with using a set percentage stop loss. However, there are times where stocks get so extended that an 8% stop loss is you know, going to trip you out of your stock, but then the stock's going to turn right around and run back up. And this is why technical analysis doesn't work. You know, people go, well, technical analysis doesn't work, you know, because they try it once and they get stopped out of a position and they immediately, you know, are, are, are mad because they get stopped out and the stock turns around and goes right back up. Happens all the time. And so people go, well, you know, technical analysis does, doesn't work. It's all voodoo. Well, the problem is, is that technical analysis isn't meant to be a one-stop issue. It's a method to manage risk and control risk. And you have to understand that technical analysis isn't always 100% perfect. It doesn't work all the time, you know, but that's not the goal. Um, you know, Babe Ruth was the, the king of home runs, right? But he struck out more than he hit home runs. And the way to win baseball, here's all my sports analogies, right? The way to win baseball games is not trying to get every player up to bat to hit a home run. If you can just get every player up to bat to hit a single, you'll win the game, right? So it's about small things and it's about making small adjustments. And and again, you know, to get into the Hall of Fame, if I'm a 400 batter, I'm probably going to get into the Hall of Fame. If I'm a 500 batter, I'm guaranteed to get in the Hall of Fame. That means every time I get up to the plate, I'm striking out once out of every two times, Right. And, and, you know, all we're looking for technically is a methodology to get about 70% of our trades right. If we get 70% done, we got it made. We're in the Hall of Fame, right? And, you know, but, but that's just the way it works. So, look, there's a few things. I've got a chart up on my screen of Apple, right? Right now, Apple's sitting right on the 200-day moving average, right? Um, the 200-day the and the 50-day moving average are very close to each other. So, Initially, a lot of people say, well, I'm going to stop out at the 50-day moving average, which is the the average price over the last 50 days. And that was uh, where we were two days ago. It was sitting right on top of the 50-day moving average. So we broke that yesterday morning. So immediately everybody went in and they got stopped out. And this is also a problem with actually using live stops versus just, you know, managing your price risk. They got stopped out yesterday morning with that break of the 50-day moving average. This Apple came right down yesterday, hit the 200-day moving average right at the open yesterday morning, turned around and bounced back up and, and regained all that lost uh, you know traction from yesterday morning, right? So by the end of the day, it had actually had a fairly nice price advance by the end of the day. So the same thing in, in Amazon as an example. Amazon negative yesterday morning, finished the day positive. So, you know, a lot of people are going, well, see, if I would have just left it alone— I would have been okay. But 
this is the point. So there's several things looking at a chart of Apple where if I'm if I'm long and I'm along Apple right now in our portfolios. So there's a, a few things that we can look at as to where I should put a stop. So one is the 200 day moving average. The 200 day moving average is a good place to put a stop. If you break the 200 day moving average, there is more downside price risk. But that downside price risk is only really a few dollars below the 200-day moving average before you run into previous bottoms that we had set back in March and April of this year. So again, there's more levels of support other than just moving averages. If I'm trying to maintain my long-term position, Apple, and again, as we've talked about here on the show, is that while we talk a lot about technicals, doesn't mean that we're market timers. We're not trying to be all in or all out of a stock at any time. But what we are looking for is trying to maintain our position in Apple long-term. So what we're really looking for is the long-term trend of Apple. And is it potentially in that uptrend? Because the biggest risk to investing in a position longer term is when the trend changes from positive to negative. And if I look at the, the trend line of Apple, that is still very positive at this moment. In fact, that uptrend is gonna is a little bit below the 200-day moving average. So even if I violated the 200-day moving average, I still wouldn't technically break that uptrend from where we were in September, August of last year. So again, there's several levels of stop. Now look, the, uh, uh, you know, to be clear, there's the level, the stop loss levels for Apple are fairly close by, right? They're within a few dollars. Uh, the stock closed yesterday about 126, you know, right around 118, 119 is, is kind of your absolute stop limit for Apple right now, um, potentially before you get into a much bigger area of decline before you find your next level of support. So, you know, that's one thing to really kind of pay attention to. Apple currently is on a sell signal and has has been under a bit of pressure, but it is starting, it is very oversold at this point on, you know, a couple of different measures that suggest that we may be getting kind of closer to the end of this selling. And, and, and this is what I was talking about in the first segment of the show with the NASDAQ potentially outperforming S&P on a relative basis. There's been a lot of selling pressure in these big, large cap mega names. We've had a lot of hedge funds liquidating um, over the last month or so for a variety of reasons. So again, we have to counterbalance these signals is like, yes, I'm very close to stop loss levels, but I'm also very oversold. And this is also one other one other last point about stop losses. And that is, is that the way we manage stop losses is that, yes, we have a, a, a target that we use for a stop loss. Now, we don't put live stops out in the market because if you do that, particularly with us, because when we put a, a position out to buy or sell, it's generally several, you know, thousands of shares, like 50,000, 100,000, you know, 200,000 shares, depending on the price level of the stock we're buying. So the algorithms will hunt us. If we put a stop loss level at, uh, to say, 122 on Apple, stock closed yesterday at 124, we put enough shares out there, the algorithms will start hunting those stops and they will start driving down the price of the stock until they get to that stop level, trigger that stop loss, buy the stock from you, then turn right around and start running the stock back up again. And that happens all the time. So we don't put live stops out in markets because of the algorithms. It's just a change in market dynamics that we live in the world today. Which is also a good reason why you would not use your typical averages as well, because Correct. that's what most people will do. And then everybody gets hunted at the same time. Bingo. Absolutely yeah. right. Um, but so what we do, though, is say, look, you know, if our stop loss is 118, 119, whatever it is, and if it's close to a level like Danny just said, the general 200-day moving average, where everybody's kind of hiding out, 
we'll let that stop break and and wait for a day or so because generally what will happen is is when a, when a support level breaks you're going to get a pressure of selling as all those stops get run out and then they'll start buying that stock back and run it back up the next day and so by waiting a day even after your stock is is stopped out technically you'll typically get a better exit point if you still want to exit sometimes the stop is completely reversed for example, let's say that I broke the 200, I broke the 50-day moving average yesterday morning. That was where my stop was. The market rallied. The Apple rallied most of the day yesterday. And let's say Apple rallies the end day back above the 50-day moving average. Now the stop is negated. So, two things here: by waiting a day, you now have an opportunity to sell Apple at a better. If your if your stop was the 50-day moving average, you still have a better stop loss sell out today than you did yesterday morning right at the open so you're better off and if the stock does rally today a little bit gets back above the 50 day then your stop has been negated you're still in the position longer term so i know that's a lot of information um and there's so many ways and, and the point about this is, is there's no one way there's no just one thing that dictates a stop loss it is a a a few variables that all have to be considered the trend the moving average previous stop loss levels previous areas of support all those are important in considering where when and how you manage your risk on your individual investments be right back after the break with danny ratliff don't go away listening to the real investment show we're going for the best on our next candid coffee with richard rosso and danny ratliff saturday may 22nd the best accounts to save the best accounts to invest investments are one thing the vehicles you place them in can be quite another which are the best for you learn about the best types of accounts to save for health care retirement and emergency reserves on our next candid coffee with ratliff and rosso saturday may 22nd register now at realinvestmentadvice.com realinvestmentadvice.com you're listening to the Real Investment Show. Come and shake your body, baby, do the conga. No, you can't control yourself any longer. Come and shake your body, baby, do the conga. No, you can't control yourself any longer. And welcome back to the show this morning. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. You know, it, we were talking a little bit about the, the gasoline shortage up in uh, New York in New Jersey, those areas, because the mm -hmm. pipeline shut down. Yeah. Just imagine how bad that's going to be when they all try to switch over to being electric and they can't get <laughs> just, you know, and look, they've already got rolling brownouts right in California because of, of that nonsense that they're yeah. going on. So, you know, get used to lines. What do they call those greenouts or something? <laughs> exactly. It's all coming. Mm. Careful what you wish for. We're just going to keep our oil to ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good with that. Yeah, this, you know, this is one of the big things about you know, people. There's a lot of people. There's a big kind of a big movement in Texas right now. To see, this happens about every four years. <laughs> we go through a uh, go through a, a revival of seceding from the union in in Texas. But uh, you know, it's always like, well, we have all the oil. It's like, yeah, you realize that Texas is one of the largest GDP producing economies in the entire world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if you put a stand alone, it's yeah, like it's, it's top twenty. Yeah. You know, California's up there too. No, you know, yep. no doubt. I mean, very, very large economies. There's a lot of problems with secession, by the way. So, 
We're not you know, going like, there. Like military, <laughs> those type of things. But anyway, uh, conversation different days. So, all right. So we just kind of spent last submit just going through a little bit about stop losses. And, and, you know, it's always an interesting question when it comes to risk management. You know, there is no, and this is one thing about this, is that there is no set rules, right? Uh, we're talking about, you know, William O'Neill. How to Make Money in Stocks, right? Read his book. It's an awesome book to read. It talks about, you know, the Canslim method of investing and, and you know, funny that, fundamentals. Um, yeah, but, you know, that's a method. And there's, there's no one way. There's no right way and, you know, to, to manage stocks. Uh, well, actually, that's not correct. You know, there is a right way to manage money, um, but there's no one way to do it, I should say. And, you know, how, you know, what works for you may not work for somebody else. And so, you know, when people say, well, how do you do it? It's like, well, this is just how I do it. And this is how, how, you know, I've spent years developing, you know, my analysis, but you can ask 10 other people, they're going to give you 10 different answers, right? So it just depends really on finding something that A, you understand and B, something that works for you that you're comfortable with. But I will give you this. There is one rule that works every single time simpler the better um you know one of the problems that people get themselves into with technical analysis and in particular and this is why when you look when we talk about you know kind of our technical overviews and our three minutes mark markets and money those type of things um we have very few indicators and that's the reason is that simple is better when you start getting all kinds of different indicators and changing your parameters and changing time frames and doing all these different things you're going to start getting a lot of different outlooks, right? The long-term outlook and the short-term outlook are two very different issues right now. So you get this kind of paralysis by analysis and there's too much information. Then you wind up not making trades, you know, one way or the other. So keep it simple, standardize it, and you'll do better over time. Well, no, the, the other thing, Lance, is that so many people, institutions are, are paid to come out with new products, right? And so we talk about keeping it simple. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody's tried to be sold this new, look at the new best yes. thing. Facts. Yeah. Yeah. Facts. Yeah, there died. you go. Good example. They're, they're dead. I haven't heard about them in a week. What happened? No, they're dead. Dead. That literally, they're all at historic lows now. That whole market just imploded on itself. <laughs> so, but that's what we said was going to happen, right? Yeah. But well, there was this, when, when, Alan, when you had, you know, A-Rod coming out with his own SPAC, you know, that was about the peak of <laughs> the SPAC bubble. Yeah, I think any major athlete has their own SPAC <laughs> at this point. Exactly. Now, what's in it, who knows? But don't worry about it, guys. We have an open checkbook. Exactly. So, you know, speaking about in different investments, what, another big question I've been getting here recently is, like, how do you invest for inflation? And I think that we are, we hear so much information. You know, core CPI comes out today, um, you know, another economic indicator as far as what inflation looks like. Your thought has been that we're going to see an inflationary push here in the near term, but likely a supply chain logistics, you know, things will things will level out over time. Now we have we have seen some permanent inflation in the sense that there are companies coming out and increasing prices, and typically we don't see those guys back away from that. But how do you invest for this, and and what can happen if you get this wrong? Because I've I'm hearing people who are saying, okay, we're going to put everything we have in tips, or we're going to go out and you know we want gold 100. percent And I think that all of these could be good ideas in bite-sized chunks, but not for a whole portfolio or not just to, to bet the house on it. Right. So you know a couple of things, and like for instance, tips is kind of an interesting issue. Okay, so 
if you're not if you're not familiar with what a tip is, a tip is an inflation protected treasury bond, and so it is tied to CPI. So as CPI changes uh, or inflation changes, the yield that you receive off the tip is adjusted for inflation. So in theory, that is sounds like a good idea. Now, the problem, though, that we have currently, and, and again, when we look at you know, the issue of, of kind of what's happening in the markets as an example, um, you, know, you take a look at a chart of tips as an example. Back in 2019, tips were trading a, a tip. Uh, so there's an ETF called TIP, T-I-P, right? And so that ETF is just a, a big pool of tips that are in there. And that ETF was trading at 105 in 2019. So just two years ago. So when all this kind of started with the trade war and the Fed started doing lots of liquidity in September of, of 2019, et cetera, you know, this all became a much more um, prominent factor. And then, of course, with the collapse of, of the economy in, in March, then we've had this big resurgence. And so oh, since we've been doing all this stimulus, we've now been talking about, you know, the issue of you know, this kind of surging inflation in the economy and, and kind of what's happening overall is that and, and this big fear of inflation. So let me ask you a question, right? So what tips are saying right now is that in 2019, there was no inflation. The annualized performance in 2019 was roughly negative for tip. So there's no inflation in really 2018 and and the first part of 2019. Now, since 20 since 2019, there's been a 20% rise in tip, right? So if you own the ETF, you're up 20% since really uh, about the beginning of 2019. So about 10% a year. So you're telling me that there's been a 10% rate of inflation and CPI over the last two years? Well, of course there hasn't been. So why is TIP running so much? And that's because of the Federal Reserve. With an ETF or with a bond or anything else, if there's more demand by buyers than there is sellers, you're going to get a price rise in TIPs. And, and the, federal government, the Federal Reserve has been buying a massive amount of TIPs, particularly since the bottom of the March decline. There's been a massive run. So that's not really representative of what's happening in inflation. So yes, you can you can certainly buy tip here as you know a hedge against inflation, expected inflation, but a lot of that value has already been priced in. In fact, the when we look at tip versus and the yield that you get off tip versus what's going on, you actually have a negative rate of, of return. So that's not necessarily a great way to hedge for inflation at this point because you have an artificial buyer. So in other words, tip is not actually being measured against real inflation at this point. Now, it's been working for you, so don't don't sit there and go, oh, I'm going to sell my tips because Lance said there's not a mat. I'm just saying you've got an artificial influence in tip at the moment. Um, gold is another good example. So we can look at IAU as an example for gold prices. So there's inflation coming, right? We've had this massive run of inf inflation this year, and yet gold is not really performing all that well. 
and gold really hasn't been keeping up with the expected rate of inflation. So if tips are saying that we're going to have a massive run of inflation, gold certainly isn't saying that right now. And I'm not saying that gold's not, I'm not, now look, what I'm telling, let me be clear about what I'm saying. We're talking about how to invest for inflation at this moment. Um, I'm not saying that gold isn't a good investment. You should go sell your gold. I'm not saying go to tell you to go sell your tips. I'm not saying tips are a bad investment. We're just talking about how do you invest for inflation. So don't don't take what I'm saying. I'm just saying gold really isn't. If the if tips are telling me the truth about inflation, gold doesn't agree. That's my point. Okay. So I've been invested in gold. So I, I took all my portfolio at the beginning of January, and I stuck it into gold as an example. And let's just, you know, and, and so, you know, how have I done this year? But gold has other problems gold outside other of problems. these other investments because sure. one, it doesn't pay you any income. Well, that's, that's a whole different, that's a fundamental issue, right? Yeah. Let's just yeah. stay with the inflation tag for a moment. Okay. Year to date, we're down three and a half percent in gold year to date. So markets up, you know, 12% for the year, whatever it is right now, gold's down three and a half. Inflation's supposed to be running super hot. We're going to CPI out this morning. So gold hasn't been a good inflation. Let's go back to tip for this year. Tip is already up, you know, basically about seven-tenths of a percent for the year. Wait a minute. What happened to that massive run in tips? Right? So when you start shorting these time frames, all of a sudden, things really start to change. The S&P, well, you know, that's up 11.5% for the year. So what's been a better hedge for inflation? The traditional fear factors of gold and tip? or the S&P 500? Well, because of what's going on in the economy and the markets and the Federal Reserve, yes, it's all about QE. It's all about liquidity. It's all about zero interest rates. The best way to hedge for inflation this year, right now, has been in stocks. And that's why, you know, we're running in our in our portfolios. Yes, we have a, a position in a gold miner, which has been performing well. But we're primarily invested in a barbell approach between value stocks and inflation stocks within our portfolio. So by by figuring out where the inflation is going to potentially be reflected the best, you can make better investment decisions about where to invest in your portfolio. And sometimes the traditional ideas about, oh, you got to have gold if there's inflation or you got to have tips, not always the best idea for your money. I'm not saying they're bad investments. I'm just saying that there's better opportunities for it. Be right back after the break. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. We're going for the best on our next Candid Coffee with Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff, Saturday, May 22nd. The best accounts to save, the best accounts to invest. Investments are one thing. The vehicles you place them in can be quite another. Which are the best for you? Learn about the best types of accounts to save for health care, retirement, and emergency reserves on our next Candid Coffee with Ratliff and Rosso, Saturday, May 22nd. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com. realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show this morning. I'm Real Science Roberts. You know, one thing I didn't touch on in the last segment talking about inflation is commodities. And, you know, Commodities have had a a huge run, you know, this year because of expected, you know, hikes and not expected, but, you know, price increases in lumber and copper and all those type of things. One thing about investing for anything is always getting your timing right, importantly. 
So for instance, if I invested in the CRB index back in 2018, my total return over the last two years is 6%. Now, if I invested in commodities in March and April of last year, I've got a 30% return in commodities. So it always just depends on when you actually start any investment, right? And that's the same thing with anything, right? You can buy something at a discount and you're gonna have this big run. Now, one thing about inflation that we're talking about here is this, there's a large chunk of inflation that is very transient. And this is one thing you've been hearing the Fed say a lot lately. It's like, oh, inflation's transient. It is. But it's not transient from the standpoint of the way the Fed looks at it, right? They go, well, gas prices are up because of the colonial pipe sh- colonial pipeline shutdown. So that's transient, right? Yeah, of course it is. As soon as you get the pipeline back on, it's going to correct itself. Car prices because of semiconductors. Big jump in car prices, big inflation there, right? That will adjust as soon as you get semiconductors back online. There's also something else that's going to happen. And that is after the stimulus flows through the market, a lot of the big increase in inflationary pressures has come from all the stimulus. We've given people a lot of money. There was a chart out this morning. I just had to chuckle. Um, it showed the, the um, recovery in goods versus services. And like services really haven't recovered that much in the economy, but manufactured goods, man, off the chart. What's the difference between those two? Okay, well, first of all, goods require commodities to make them, right? You want a flat screen television, you want a new computer, you want a car, whatever, cost commodities. For the last five, six, seven, ten 10 years, people have been talking about, well, you know, manufacturing, that's not really that big of a deal in the economy anymore because we're 80% services in the US. Well, all of a sudden commodities matter. <laughs> and that 20% of manufacturing matters because you're wanting to buy stuff. Well, the reason you want to buy stuff, and so let me go, let me ask you the question, right? So I give you a thousand, I give you a $1,400 check. Now, what are you going to do with your $1,400 check? Are you going to go out and buy a flat screen television that you've been wanting? Or are you going to pay Danny to come mow your yard? Goods versus services. When people get a check, they go buy stuff. They don't pay for a service. It's, oh, I got a $1,400 check. I can't wait to get my hair cut, right? Not the way people think. $1,400 check, I'm going to get a new car. I'm going to go get a computer. I'm going to get a TV. I'm going to go buy a new Xbox, whatever it is. I'm going to go buy a good something that requires manufacturing. So understand this is that we are now at the end of that. So when the stimulus runs, it finally runs its course, and it will over the course of the next couple of months, you're going to start having a deflationary trend in the purchases of goods, which reduces the demand for commodities, which also leads to a deflationary price in those goods that are being bought, right? Because prices are driven by supply and demand. And this is why if you take a look at the National Federation of Independent Business Small Business Index yesterday, recovered a little bit, still very depressed. Because business owners know that what's going on in the economy right now is temporary. The demand for goods and services is temporary. As soon as the money runs out, it's over. So that's one of the issues here that, and the Fed is correct about this, a lot of this inflationary surge in the economy is transient because when the money runs out, so does the demand. When the demand runs out, so do the price increases. So just something to kind of remember, you know, you've really kind of got the best of all worlds right now in commodity prices, but is there another 20 or 30% upside in commodities? Maybe depends on how long the shortage of inventories and the, and and demand um, exist. Another month, another three months, another six months, another year. 
Don't know. But at some point, two things are going to happen. One, demand is going to fade. Or two, prices will reach a point to where people will no longer buy them. They will curtail their consumption because their disposable income can't cover the cost of living, food prices, etc. All that leads to reduced demand. Reduced demand leads to lower prices. So there you go. Well, thank you for the good explanation, because I know this is a hot topic right now. It seems like everywhere it's you look, an, there's an article. It's an inflated topic at the moment. It's a very inflated topic. Well, it's interesting. Like You see stuff coming out right now talking about you should go invest in some of these areas. And either, like you mentioned, they've done nothing, and they, the promise doesn't look very good, or they, they've already it's already all priced in. Right. And so you're too late. Yeah, and then and that's that and that's that's always you know, one of the golden rules of investing. If every if they're talking about it on CNBC, you've already missed the trade. It's like Wayne Gretzky used to say, <laughs> yeah. "Skate to where the puck is going, not to where it is." Right. I mean, same thing here. Exactly, and that's and that's the case. And when, when you hear about it everywhere, it's too late. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just like saying, "I better run out and buy a house now because there's not going to be more to buy." Not the case. <laughs> There's always going to be a house to buy just to function how much you want to pay for it. So Isn't that the truth, especially right now? <laughs> exactly. So, all right, uh, a couple other things um, coming up. Uh, we got a webinar coming up here pretty soon, right? We do. We have. Uh, we actually have our next Candid Coffee on May 22nd. So go sign up, realinvestmentadvice.com. Love to have you guys there. Just a real open conversation about what's going on in the world, investing, financial planning, lots of changes, especially coming in the financial planning world. You know, we're seeing lots of... Uh, things happening quick. And so, you know, don't have a whole lot of clarity exactly on what these things will look like, but we're starting to get a better picture as far as what that may be. So we'll be discussing that, how that impacts you. We did have a Medicare um, Lunch and Learn last week. We'll be doing some more of those here very shortly. Our next one coming up will likely be long-term care. So keep tuned, realinvestmentadvice.com. We'll be sending you lots of information out. Um, Go sign up right now. We'd love to have you guys there and send in your questions. We love your questions and uh, we'll be answering those live and uh, throughout the show. Exactly. So speaking about planning, though, we do have a new Securing a Strong Retirement Act, which was recently approved by the U.S., uh, by the House Ways and Means Committee. And you're going to love some of these things here. And these are things that if it came out of the House Ways and Means Committee, it's probably not a good thing. Well, that's where most of these things have to come at some point, right? You get them to the House Ways and Means Committee. Maybe we need some CFPs of the House Ways and Means Committee. I think I've told Rather you about my, my experience of sitting on some focus yes. groups with them. And, you know, it's like it's one of those deals where they say, okay, guys, we really need you here because we don't know a whole lot about this. And then they, <laughs> then you sit there and they say, hey, here's what we're going, going to do. And you're like, wait a second, why am I here for this long? They, do you mind taking a photo? I'm like, no, <laughs> absolutely not. Uh, but they have some interesting ideas. So they want to do some auto- automatic enrollment within 401ks, 403b plans. Um, I think this is good a good thing already you know most people we encourage to do that we also encourage to you know bump it up a little bit each and every year but they do have one that i think is going to be it's going to be a tough one maybe for a lot of companies to bite off so they do have a student debt matching program and we're seeing more companies are actually starting to do that now lance and some of the the problems with this bill is particular particularly is that they're saying you don't have to contribute to your 401k, but we're going to continue to contribute for you so long as you're paying off student debt. And making that mandatory for corporations, I think, is going to be difficult to get past. Right. Uh, because there's lots of corporations that'll, they want to help you, but you need to you need to put some skin in the game as well. Yeah. And by not putting it directly into the account, I don't know what that, you know, there's some unintended consequences here, I think. Well, look, we've got to go back to a couple of things about student loan debt, which is, you know, it's, it's great that you're sending kids to school, but, you know, and this idea that Biden administration has right now about, um, you know, we have two years of junior college for free, right? You know, 
that doesn't solve your skill set problem when you're not teaching skills in school to start with, right? And the second thing is, is, is remember is that back in the 40s, when people were in the workforce, very few, most people went to eighth grade and that was it. And then they went to work on the family farm. They went to work in the family business, et cetera. Very few people actually went to high school. Then we decided, hey, we need to, it needs to be mandatory. Everybody gets a high school diploma. And then we got the government involved with the Department of Education um, in 1980. And in, at that time, the U.S. ranked in the top one, two, three spots for your basic STEM courses, right? Science, technology, math, et cetera. Today, we're in the bottom 20 to 30 in every country in the world ever since the government's gotten involved in it. The problem is that when, you, when everybody has something, everybody's got a high school diploma, what's it worth today? If you've got a high school diploma, what's it worth in the job market today? Everybody has one. What makes a difference is, is now I go, well, if everybody's got a high school diploma, I need a differentiator. Oh, Danny's got a, a college degree. Awesome, right? I'm going to pay up for him because he's got a college degree. Now everybody's got a college degree. It's no more valuable than a high school diploma. Now he's going to start giving away college. That even devalues the value of that education anymore. And again, we're not teaching a skill set. What's the biggest problem for, for employers right now? Lack of skills. We talked about yesterday, 17 to 24-year-olds, 71% can't uh, join the military because they're obese, they have no skill set, and no high school diploma or criminal record, right? There, There's your problem. It's not college degrees. And again, if you have everybody a bachelor's, now everybody needs a master's. Well, but that's the thing. If you're going to give everybody the associate's degree, if you're going to give them two years, right? Right. There's no skilled training within that. You're going to be doing your basics for college. Exactly. How many people are going to walk away after that and say, well, I've got this. That's going to be it. Exactly. What we should be doing, if you want to, to provide education, provide education. That's fine. That's fantastic. Trade schools. It, look, yeah. if you don't want to go to, if you can't afford to go to college, we've got an auto mechanics trade school, welding trade school, plumbing, electricians. We will teach you skill sets. Those jobs are guaranteed earners. And look, there's nothing wrong with it, man. Electricians make a lot of money. Plumbers. <laughs> if you haven't hired a plumber lately, they get paid a lot of money. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we shouldn't be poo-pooing those ideas. And if we really want to focus on plumbers, got it. Mm -hmm. that was a, I got you. I didn't get the pun, but I got, I got the you. pun. I got you. Hey, look, let's just, let's, I'm just going to order these new shoes. They're from Imran. Okay. Yeah. They look like human feet. So. Where do people come up with this stuff? I don't know, but they, they, they look like realistic human feet. And so if you got jacked up toes, you can buy these shoes and wear them and have great feet. Look really jacked up. <laughs> so. All right. Have a great day. It's Wednesday, of course. Uh, never know what you're going to get when Danny's here. <laughs> so we'll be back tomorrow, of course, with Michael Leibowitz. We've got a lot of stuff to talk about with the Fed, inflation. We'll get the CPI number out today. We'll get to that tomorrow uh, right here on the Real Investment Show. Have a great day. Get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com, for all of our latest blog posts, updates, etc. cetera, all at the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. Have a great day. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet. Sign up for the Real Investment Report now at realinvestmentadvice.com. It's a rich man's world.